Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. That's where we're going to be. And um, what Paul's doing in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it's a, it's a, it's a super um, interesting chapter that I'm going to, by and large, skip over the first half of. And I'll tell you why. Uh, well, no, that's not, not the real reason why. But let me tell you a little bit about what's going on in the first part of chapter 9. Here's the thing. The Apostle Paul um, is uh, writing to this church in Corinth. We studied it up until uh, Thanksgiving. We've taken a break. We're coming back to it, picking up in chapter 9. And he's been writing to them because uh, at the first, he'd heard some reports about some things going on in the church. And so he has to write them and set those things right. And then he's also responding to a letter. They have written him a letter, and they've asked him some questions and he is responding to those questions. And here in chapter 9 is kind of a uh, continuation of what was going on in chapter 8. And they asked him, hey, what about, um, do we have the freedom to eat the meat that has been offered up to idols? If you went to the uh, supermarket in Corinth and you were going to buy uh, some steaks for Friday night, uh, the good chance is that those stakes came from um, one of the temples that worshiped idols because that's what people did with all their livestock is they offered uh, those up for sacrifice to the, to the different idols. So essentially Paul's wrestling with that and he says, look, here's the deal. Idols are just, I mean, they're just like toys. Uh, you, there's no other God except for the one God. They don't really exist. So it's okay to eat the meat. The problem is, a lot of times that meat is served in the, in the temples or the temple potlucks. And while we have the freedom as believers to do all kinds of things, we certainly wouldn't want to mingle our lives in such a way or in the same occasion as idol worshipers worshiping they're false gods. And he's actually continuing this tension between the freedom and the liberty we have in life as believers and this entitlement and self-centeredness that every single one of us struggles with. And so, this is what's going on in chapter 9. That, that's kind of the big picture. Now, how Paul presents it is this way. The first 14 verses are Paul in a rant against the Corinthians. They have been questioning his apostleship. And so, he's going to use 14 rhetorical questions. So, if you want to know, just if it's like this. If you want to know, if, if you're a teenager in here, if you want to know that your mom is angry, all right, and you hear her say things like, what do you think I am? A maid? Who do you think's going to pick this up? If she's asking rhetorical questions like that, and she does 14 in a row, she's ticked off, all right? And that's what Paul's 
do it. Just look at it real quick with me just to get a flavor of it. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 9. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If, others, if to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. And then he's going to give a defense. 14 times he's going to ask this rhetorical question, and you're supposed to go, Paul, I'm sorry, you're right. Although that's not what they do. Now, how Paul's going to explain his apostleship. If you were an apostle, the apostle Paul, and you were having to defend your apostleship, you want to address the issue that's being criticized. And that's what he's going to do. So let me tell you what that issue is really quick, and then we're going to move past it. The Corinthians were a wealthy city. And they had um, decided that they were disappointed with Paul for a couple of reasons. One of those reasons was they were embarrassed by the Apostle Paul because he did not look like and act like one of the fancy philosophers of the day, where they would come in, had fancy robes, had high flute and language, and made a real impression on everybody around them. Instead, what Paul did is he came in as a tent maker, and he worked with his hands and would get sweaty during the day, and um, usually, you know, like his clothes, you know, he'd be like pitted out under the armpits, and you could see the salt stain on the shirt kind of a thing. That's what Paul was. And the, and the issue is he did not take any money from the Corinthian church. He served as their pastor, but he did not let that church support him. We find out later he was supported by some of the other churches around, the poorer churches, but he didn't let this wealthy church support him. And he says, and they were mad at him about it. And they said, Paul, maybe you're not even really an apostle if you're not going to take any money for this deal. Maybe you're not like everybody else. Maybe there's something deficient in you. And so they begin to, to hammer him. And he turns around and he says, look, just so we're clear, I am an apostle. I saw the Lord Jesus on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9, which as an aside, um, it, 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 this could totally upset you, and that's all right. Um, it's not the only thing that will upset you this morning. When... In, in, a, in those verses 1 and 2 and 3, Paul's giving a defense for his apostleship. And the, and the qualification, so the prerequisite of an apostle is this. I have seen the Lord Jesus with my eyeballs. The resurrected Lord Jesus. I saw him. Which tells me, as one of the prerequisites of apostleship. So, I, people are called apostles today. Um, and I would say they're mistakenly calling themselves apostles because they haven't seen the Lord Jesus in his resurrected form yet. Does it make sense? This is what's going on. So, no apostles today. I get it. I understand that. But according to Paul, 
apostle is the thing that's gone. All right. Uh, where was I? Oh, yeah. He's an apostle. And part of his saying as apostle, you can read this and you'll get in. You'll say, why is Paul saying all this? He says, I had every right to be, to, to receive remuneration from you. I had every right for you as a church to support me because I am an apostle. Now, that's the quick summary of the first 14 verses. Look at verse 14, and I'm going to pick up there, and we'll, we'll move on. He says this, In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. That's the principle. This is, this is it. This was my right. I was entitled to this. Um, from you, uh, Corinthian church. Now look at verse 15. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any provision. I'm not doing this in a backhanded way. I'm not, really, I'm not looking for you to do anything. I do not want you, Corinthian church, to in any way financially support me. He says, I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Well, what is that? Verse 16. These are hard verses. I'll try to make sense of them for you. Verse 16. For if I preached the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Verse 17, for if I do this of my own will, I have a reward, uh, uh, payment, remuneration. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Now, here is what Paul is saying in a nutshell. What I'm doing, I'm doing for the sake of the gospel. The, the paradox that Paul is laying out, that uh, the, the boasting in his apostleship is related to a reality that says, look, God has called him, has put a call on his life, and... He has called these churches into being. And so whatever my life is, and whatever evidence the churches that I have founded provides, God has done this. In verse 16, the word necessity, yours might have compulsion. You can think of it as this divine destiny, this this divine course that was set in Paul's life, and what he's saying is, is to preach the gospel of Christ is not something I chose to do. It is something I have to do. Paul's saying, look, I didn't look around. I didn't take one of those um, Ames tests uh, when I graduated high school to find out what I would be most suited to do. That's not how I chose what it is that I'm doing. I'm doing what I'm doing 
because of the divine call on my life, the divine destiny of my life, I cannot do any other thing. There is a, a necessity about it, a compulsion about it. On the one hand, Paul will say we're free in Christ. He, he would say, about, I'm free in Christ. I'm, I'm free from, from, from every restraint there is in the world. At the same time, I am a slave to Christ. Enjoy. I cannot get away from the calling that I have on my life. And in fact, verse 17, what he means here in verse 17 is that, look, if I was doing this, like if I decided to do this, and this was my own will, and I had a choice, and it was between I could do this or I could be a, an apostle uh, ministering the gospel, and I chose apostle ministering to the gospel, well, it would make sense. I might have chosen that so, you know, I could make a living. This is how I get paid and, and all that. Here's the thing, though. I didn't choose this. And it would make no sense for me, Corinthians, to create an obstacle in this setting. I don't want you to support me. I want you to know, he says. Now, let me make clear. I'm not saying this. The apostle Paul was saying this about himself, all right? a joke that did not land. It didn't land first hour either, all right? I think somebody, somebody came up after this and was like, are you all right? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm feeling weird this year, you know. Happy New Year, all right? Um, Paul is saying, look, money was a weird thing with the Corinthians. That's how they bought power. That's how they, they you know, and, and Paul says, look, I, I, money's weird with you. I'm not, money's not going to be in the mix. I don't want anything to hinder the gospel. I want nothing that I ever do with you Corinthians that would in any way interfere with you hearing the gospel. Because if I never got paid a dime, ever, 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 and none of my needs were met, and I lived in power, and all these things, it doesn't matter. I would still preach the gospel because I have to. I'll just say as an aside, I, I, sometimes people, I have people who will come to me and say, man, I, you know, I feel called to ministry. I feel like the Lord's leading me to do this. And, and typically, I say, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a super disappointing person to come to with those conversations because usually I'll say something, some version of, man, that's really great, and I can tell that you're excited. So my counsel is this. If you can do anything else, go do that. It, it, there's, there's a lot of reasons I think people choose to go into ministry, and I think a lot of those reasons are great. But, but the reality is, if you're looking at a calling into a lifetime of ministry, if you can do anything else, go do that. Because there's, there's, a, there's a, these um, challenges and disappointments and a the difficulty of ministry. This is why the statistics of, of people that go into ministry is kind of abysmal, really. I think the last thing I read is 80% of seminary graduates within five years aren't in the ministry anymore. That's not very optimistic. 
And so you, you've got to feel this burden, this calling. Like, I, no, I can't do anything else. This is the burden of my life. And, that, and that's part of what he's saying there. Now, let, let me, um, let, let's get into something that, that's a little familiar. Look, pick with me up in verse 19. Here, here's what he says. He says, for though I'm uh, free from all, and he's picking back up from verse 1 when he said, am I free? And here's the answer. Yes, I am free. For though I'm free um, from all, from everything, from all hindrances, from every influence, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. It's a very interesting thing that Paul's saying in a very interesting way. He says, look, I'm free from everything. I'm free from your expectations. I'm independent from your, you know, you, you, I don't need you to meet my needs, all these things. I'm free from everything. But yet, here's the thing. In my freedom, in my liberty, in all of this, I have turned around and made myself a servant to you, a slave to you. Everything I'm entitled to, I've set that aside because I have chosen to care about you more than I care about myself. That's how he starts the whole thing. He says, look, Christianity, there's a lot to know about Christianity. But the heart of Christianity is not knowledge. In fact, knowledge will puff you up. The heart of Christianity, it's grounded in love. Love for God and love for one another. And Paul's saying, look, I've taken all my rights, all my entitlements, everything that's mine, everything. And I've set that aside for your sake. And so while the first, you know, 15 verses of this, Paul's talking about how as, a, as an apostle, he has the right to be supported by the church. That doesn't apply to very many of us in here. None of us are apostles. But here, this idea that the gospel has so transformed me, it has so changed my life, it has so gotten a hold of me, that the weight of everything that God has done, it weighs on me, and man, I can't get away from it. And what it means is that I would set aside everything I am owed, rightfully, or even the things I think I'm owed. And I would set that aside for the sake of the people around me. And this is not a new thought for Paul. In fact, in almost every letter that Paul writes to the churches, he includes this principle. Philippians chapter 2, being the chief of those. Now, for though I'm free of all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. How does that look? Look at what he says. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means 
I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. In answering the question, am I free? To the answer is yes, Paul, you are free. Paul answers it by saying this, yes, I'm free, but freedom's not my goal. The salvation of others is my goal. That my life would be an output, that the overflow of my life would be the gospel into other people's lives. And his first concern is not whether he is offensive or not offensive to, to other people. It's whether the gospel itself has a proper hearing. In my freedom, I've become a slave to everybody. Now listen to this. In my freedom, I've chosen to be a slave to everybody. Now, that's not because Paul's insecure. It's not because he's a pushover or a people pleaser or a, one of those kinds that hates confrontation, so he just lets others have their way. That's not it. He's done that because of the gospel. Listen, I know a lot of nice people, a lot of deferent people, you know, whose posture towards people is, you know, to do everything to be unoffensive, and, but that has nothing to do with the gospel. It's just a different kind of self-preservation. It's not how Paul approaches it. In fact, he goes at it. He goes actively at it. Listen, I, I want to put myself in a way that I serve those people around me. The gospel never changes. The message of the gospel, who Jesus is as the Son of God and how He came and put on flesh. He became man. He became a human. And not only that, He ended up becoming our sin. He became my sin. And then He died a death that I deserved was laid in a grave I should be buried in. But the great difference, the great victory is that three days later, he rose from the dead. He conquered death. I mean, we say it so often in the church, we don't ever really stop and think about it for a second. But you could drive home today. Chances are you'll pass by a cemetery. You could pull in walk up and down the grave plots, the headstones. Stand there. Bid someone to come forth out of the ground. And it will not happen. There is only one that has ever conquered death, that is Jesus, rose from the dead. And he offers us that same life. So that when he returns, we will rise. We will be resurrected. We will have new life in new bodies forever as believers. That's the gospel. And Paul says, man, I, everything I do in my life, I want to do that for the sake of the gospel. The sake of the gospel in other people's lives. The, the thing is, here's what we typically do. 
We notice when we have conversations or we have encounters with people or even people we've been friends with for a long time. And, and the deal, you, we, it's easy to notice how somebody's different from us or, you know, has a uh, different way of doing things or, or what. And, and usually our aim becomes to interact with them like we're some new host on an HGTV show, you know, some extreme makeover host. And so I'm going to do everything I can to fix you, to make you like me. So that you'll wear the clothes I wear and listen to the songs I sing and use the language I listen to. And, and, and so we, we want to kind of clone ourselves as people in the church. And, and that is not Paul's way. He says, man, I want, to, I want to enter the world and encounter people where they are for the sake of the gospel. I'm going to make myself a servant to them. Let me give you an example it's one I've used before. You think, man, you're just recycling. Well, I am today because I can't think of a better one. And here's a good one. It's oversimplified, but here's a good one. It's about my fifth grade Sunday school teacher, Mrs. Stubblefield. And she was about 79 or 80 years old. She'd been retired for a lot of years from, from teaching by the time I'm a fifth grader that hits her Sunday school class. And this is, I'm in fifth grade in the 70s out in West Texas. And if you're a fifth grade boy in the 70s in West Texas, there's really only one thing in that time period that you cared about, and that was the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, Tom Landry was an, like the elder emeritus of our church, although he'd never been there and didn't know we existed. The elders at communion, every, every Sunday, they would pray for Tom Landry, all right? <laughs> that's how I grew up. So, in Mrs. Stubblefield, listen, she at 80 years old, you know, in the early 70s, just think about it for a second. She, I mean, she has not had a TV all her life. She probably didn't even have a TV until after she'd retired from teaching. So, she didn't grow up watching SportsCenter. She probably hadn't seen a lot of football games. For most of her life, Football was played in such a way where the guys just, you know, they put like a piece of leather on top of their head and they went out there and they beat each other up and came off bleeding and with no teeth. There wasn't anything terribly appealing to her in her life about football. And here's what she could have done. She could have and would have had every right to do it. And I mean, listen, what did I owe her as a fifth grader for this Woman of 80 years old who was a saint. I mean, closest thing to a saint I would have ever known. He's right. I owed her honor and respect. What did I give her? Nothing. I didn't. And she could have come in. She would have every right to come in and say, okay, kitties. You know? Here's the deal. I think football is your idol. She was probably right. Cared more about football than I did Jesus in the fifth grade. I promise you that. And for a long time. And you think about it too much. And you care more. You need to care more about Sunday school. You need to care more about the Bible. And then she could say, you know, look, here's the deal. I get up every morning early and I read the Bible and I pray and I'm happy. And you need to do that because Jesus loves you. And she could have said that. And there was, 
nothing that that woman would have said in that direction that would have been wrong. Not a thing. She was, listen. The fact that I had no interest in her life or what she had to say, that only reveals, the only thing that reveals is how dumb I was in the fifth grade. But that's not what she did. And I tell the story because I want you to think about it for a second. This is a woman who's 80 years old who is owed honor and respect. It's what she's owed. And never once did she demand what it was she was entitled to. Not once. Instead, you know what she did? She started watching football. Not for herself. She did it for me. She made herself, at 80 years old, a servant to me. Can you believe it? Mrs. Stubblefield, who's owed, entitled to honor respect and yes ma'am no ma'am and if I had half a brain I would have listened to every word she'd said but she never demanded that instead she became a servant to a fifth grader to the lost pagan fifth grade Dallas Cowboys fan I became a Dallas Cowboys fan, that I might win him. Do you see how radical that is? In viewing life. It's our challenge is that for most of us, we have a hard time getting out of our own way. For most of us, the things that we're entitled to, our rights, the respect we think we should enjoy, the honor we think we should receive, the propers that are our due, whatever it is. See, we think that's what we ought to, and we do. We expend an incredible amount of, of energy, making sure everything is fair for me. One of the things that's so convicting about 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is that Paul says, you know what, I set all of those things aside for the sake of the gospel to the degree that I have become a servant everyone around me so that I might save some. Not radical. You talk about, okay, what would 2024 look like? Well, maybe if it just looked a little more like that in my life. If verse 23 that says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, wouldn't it be great to get to the end of 2024 and go, you know what? I do it all for the sake of the gospel. That was, that was more true this year than it ever was in my life. Wouldn't that be 
Wouldn't that be awesome? How do we get there? Well, I tell you this, most of us, and we know this, I mean, we know this about ourselves. We, we kind of are in a slumber, aren't we? I mean, we're in the routine of our lives. We go day to day. We encounter the same kinds of, you know, the same people every, every day, every week. All that. We, we can't even hardly see the people in our life, the, the people that God has put in our life, the harvest in front of it. It's so hard for us to even see those things. And so, because of that, you know what we don't do enough of, if at all? And the statistics would bear out that very few of us as a church do what I'm about to talk about. And that is, initiate and have spiritual conversations with somebody else. A conversation that began with, you know, whoever they are and wherever they are in life and whatever it is they're doing. And, you know, gosh, what are you hoping for in life? What are you counting on in life? Hey, what was the most meaningful thing that happened to you in the last year? Where we get under the surface of life and begin to, to engage people at the level of their heart So that we can get to the most important thing in this world and in the next. And that is what God has provided us through his son, Jesus Christ. And a lot of times those conversations, you'd be amazed at how many people you know in your life, how long it has been since someone has asked them a question about anything that matters eternally. And you know what? We get to do that. But to do that, we, we have to be people that would go, you know what? I'm going to, for as long as I can today, Lord, you've got to help me. And I'm counting on the Spirit of God that indwells me and empowers me. I want to get through as much of my day to day, and I would care not about me, but, around, but about those that are around me. And then we find ourselves at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, having fallen back into that slumber of self-entitlement and all that stuff. Would the Lord snap us back out of it? Here's another way you can do it. Um, go stay, hang around. And, I mean, good night. I'm, I'm, it's already lunchtime. So hang around for the Amazon meeting today. Go to the Amazon or to some other mission trip or sign up for the perspectives class. Something that, that shakes you awake. And listen, I, it's great. Go to the Amazon. I think it's great. You'll really be an encouragement to those people for the week you're there. You really will. I mean, I, no doubt about that. Here's what it'll do. It'll absolutely, it will absolutely transform how you live for a little while when you get back. It'll, it'll change how you see everything. And we need that. We need to be stabbed awake. That our, my life is not about me. It's about loving God and loving those around me. It's why some of you are bored to tears with Christianity. You think, man, what am I doing? I'm just going through the motions. Well, you probably are. But the problem is you've 
spent too much time looking at yourself. And you're missing this feel, this harvest that's all around you. That with a question, with a, with a thoughtful afternoon or a time over a cup of coffee and wading into with another person eternal questions it'll change everything change everything all right i'm done i'm out of time let's pray see i did try to smile the whole time i was so uh poor poor first hour if you see them Ask them if they're okay, all right? Father, help us this morning. We, this is kind of... But it, it's a kind of encounter with your word that, that I pray we wouldn't get over very soon. Father, I pray you... Wake us up from the slumber even this morning in our life. And Father, for, for so, I know that there's so much going on in life and to hear these words feels like, oh, it's just another burden, just another thing I have to do that I'm not doing or that I'm going to fail at. And Father, I pray you'd take all of that away and that you'd replace it with the, just the joy that you have promised of a, of a life lived when we, Father, when we love you well, we love those around us well. Show us how to let go of so much of the things that we are clinging to that are just a distraction so that, Father, we wouldn't miss a 1 Corinthians 9, 23 kind of life where we'd say, you know, I'd do it all for the sake of the gospel, or at least I want to. And so, Father, help us to not miss those opportunities. Father, for the many things that await us this year that we have no idea about, but, Father, you, you know every detail of. I pray that we would walk close with you. Draw us to your Son. Continue to transform us into his likeness. And, Father, I pray for the conversations that could happen even today or this week. That you go before us. And give us the words to say. And Father, hearts that would be humble and open to what you would do. We ask this only way we can. In the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of your Spirit. Amen. All right. I'm so good to see you this year. I'm, isn't it great? Um, yeah. Come back next week, all right? So, Stan, let's be dismissed, all right? May the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you. Amen. See you next week.